0: Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org. So welcome, everybody. So um, yeah, so today I wanted to to chat about uh, being present. Um, I guess staying present is the, is the, uh, topic for today, staying present. And kind of what I was, I was getting at there was, was the importance of staying, staying present in, in this time, you know, before, before COVID, uh, you know, I kind of thought like our mental atmosphere was really, really busy because it always seems to be, to be really busy. And to basically, you know, to, to look at all of that, all the data that is coming into our mind streams, um, with, with just regular daily life with social media and all these things and what was going on politically. And all this stuff continues, and then we have we have COVID uh, coming on board in our psyche and having to deal with what's happening there, and now we have um, social injustice uh, issues, which again those are ongoing as well, but they're more to the forefront. And so wow, you know this is taking up a lot of our energy. You know, we uh, Wendy and I taught. Uh, the advanced meditation uh, training yesterday, and she, I don't know, came upon like a poll or something where people were asked how much energy, how much mental energy, are you putting towards you know COVID and and social injustice, um, and we could see that <clears throat> most likely and and kind of in in a positive way, like a lot of our mental energy should be should be going there, right? But how are we meeting with with what with what lens? You know, are we meeting are we meeting those things? And so, I want to chat a little bit and maybe have some discussion around um, staying present with presence and awareness and and giving ourselves permission to move into um, the space of our own awareness and our own mind and. And to rest and marinate and recharge and rejuvenate uh, in in our inner realms, if you will. It might be difficult in this time to give ourselves permission to to move into those places, especially in really surrender to to peace, to equanimity um, at a time like this. It might be difficult, but can we fuse? That act of of moving into our beingness with um, activism, Um, can we can we fuse the act of that uh, with uh, you know compassion for all beings as we move to the world through the world, um, being aware of the COVID situation, can we fuse um, our intention for moving inward with um self-care, you know, knowing that this is the, the most beneficial thing that I could do for my own stress levels, you know, right now. And I think this is an extremely, this is extremely important to keep this top of mind as, as the mind wants to do all these external things and external acts and whatnot. Um, we want to be able to, to bring to these external situations a certain, a certain energy, um, uh, meet it with a certain level of um, of wakefulness. And I like a term uh, in in the Tibetan practice of awakening bodhicitta. It's called seven point cause and effect method. And I like to use these terms: uh, great love and great compassion. So you know, we're taught to contemplate that it might be the case that all beings have been your mother in the past. You know, it's this uh it's this teaching. I really love that teaching actually. And these and they invite us to to contemplate that maybe all beings have shown us love in the past. And maybe all beings have shown us a compassion in, in the past. But the teachings go further and they talk about maybe all beings have shown us great love, like the love of a mother for their child, maybe they have shown us great compassion. You know, this great love and great compassion. <clears throat> and really that's what we want to bring. That's what we want to bring to our life in, in, in these situations is great love, great compassion. Like whatever that is, it's like this this otherworldly something. You know, we don't want to meet Um, these situations with ordinary mind. We don't want ordinary mind meeting ordinary mind, right? We want extraordinary mind and extraordinary intention of bodhicitta, extraordinary love, extraordinary compassion. You know, and this is beyond, this is beyond thought and beyond concept. You know, I like how Anthony, what's up, Anthony? (laughs) Anthony's here. Um, I love how he simplifies, you know, when he's talking about the teaching and and Zen teaching and just, you know, this teaching is really about, he simplifies it and just the cutting off of thoughts, you know, and this cutting off of thoughts is, it's not an aversion way. It's not talking about aversion, like cutting off thoughts. It's just through our awareness, the thoughts cease all on their own, And this entire practice is that now that once the thoughts have ceased, and again, it's just our attention to them. They might still be present in, in some form, right? But even even with us not following them, we get to abide in that something else. So this whole practice is abiding in that something else. Like, what am I when I'm not when I'm not following these thoughts? Not abiding in these thoughts? Not um having it, you know, getting hooked and. Uh, and having my my self-identity caught up in uh, into them, then we could abide in this something else. And we have to give ourselves permission to abide in something else, especially during these times. We have to give ourselves permission. And it might take quite a bit you know, of uh, uh, reasoning to, to get there. Even in meditation, the mind's going to be Telling us, oh, we, got to, we have to outthink this, you know, we have to strategize, whether strategizing self-care, strategizing how we're going to fix the world and, and all these things. So there's many, many ways, many things um, uh, or, or many kind of um, paths we could take you know, from here, like how do we do that? Like, how do we rationalize completely surrendering to that something else that has really, in ways, maybe intellectually, nothing to do with what's going on right now? Are we, we kind of, you know, meditation to a lot of people is escapism, right? It's not. But how do how do we come term, to terms with that? And And I think at first we should really take refuge in the core practices and just kind of go back to those core practices um, in regards to freedom and what it means to be free because this is, this is what we want to bring to that world, that, that liberation, that, that, freedom. that freedom. That freedom we, that we can understand experientially in, in meditation, that's what we want to bring to the world. So, you know, upon thinking about this, I, I kind of want to go over a couple things. For one, just talking about kind of Buddha's, I just read this the other day and I just thought it would be fitting to kind of, just to kind of read this and, you know, what, what the Buddha's quote unquote, you know, gift was to, um, uh, these, these, uh, these practices, uh, was that of insight? Was that of wisdom? And this is really what we need. So the vipassana aspect, the insight insight aspect. So well, of course we have the concentration um, aspect, and then we also have the truth of how things are. And this was in in Buddha's time. This really wasn't um, really looked at. It was more just the samadhi practice. And so I want to read something from from Alan Wallace and. This is a book so Alan Wallace is mostly a Tibetan known as a Tibetan teacher and this is from his book which I forgot to write down the title I'm sorry but it's actually on the on the Satipatthana Sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness. So I'm just going to read this and and again it's a way for us to kind of kind of come back to the very core teaching. Historically the Buddha himself started with development of samadhi This is like focus or concentration. But then he moved on. Bear in mind that his world was well populated with contemplatives. Many were wandering aesthetics who were often counterculture figures living on one meal a day and devoting themselves to the pursuit of truth. With so much competition, how did the Buddha distinguish himself over the others of his era? Of course, there are many reasons but from a certain perspective he stands out because he refused to take samadhi itself as the goal the buddha's greatest innovation was to assert that samadhi a highly refined attention with single point pointed concentration enabling very subtle states of consciousness that transcend the physical senses and leading to the state of equanimity and bliss only temporarily suspends the mental afflictions. Instead, he sought lasting freedom. Standing upon the shoulders of other spiritual giants of his era, the young Siddhartha developed and refined his samadhi. But then he purposefully applied this stable, clear, and highly focused instrument to an experiential investigation. By closely inspecting his own mind, his body, and the relationship between mind and body and environment, he found the genre of insight meditation called Vipassana. As the Buddha formulated it, insight practice begins with a solid foundation in ethics and wholesome, non-harming way of life. Upon this basis, the attention is refined into a reliable tool for investigation, This tool is employed to probe the ultimate nature of reality with the mind at the very center of experiential reality. The Buddha's great innovation was a unification of shamatha and vipassana. Prior to this discovery, inquiry into the nature of reality had not been linked with samadhi. The Buddha asserted that the fusion of Shamatha and Vipassana was the key to liberation, the irreversible healing and purification of the mind. If the afflictive mental tendencies were vanquished by severing the root of suffering, lasting freedom will be attained. Yeah. So I wanted to mention this as kind of you know, as as we want. Clarity with where we're going with our practice, this fusion of mental stability, focusing on concentration, having a stable mind, focusing the stable mind on the nature of how things are. Seeing the, the empty nature of how things are gives rise to compassion, and bodhicitta for all beings. And it also gives us resilience in seeing things exactly as they are. Then from here, we can move in, into our world as a free and liberated being, but still acting um, for the benefit of others, right? So I wanted to kind of set this basis up of where we are externally with the tools that we use to move inwardly, uh, to move, um, yeah, to, to, to move inside for inner reflection. And how do we access you know this cutting off of thoughts, right? And then I want to read next. Uh, there's two suttas. I'm probably just gonna read through one, and then I actually want us to maybe break up into groups and, and chat about this for a little bit. Um, both of these, both of these suttas I find kind of controversial, and you'll see when I read them. And this is why I want us to draw out. Um, kind of um, where we can go f- Where what does the Buddha mean from here because this could seem kind of one-sided maybe even nihilistic so, so obviously the Buddha often called the compassionate one um, this is called well he yeah, called the compassionate one but here this might not seem so compassionate but he's talking about you know how do we deal with with life's sufferings and he gives this antidote to how to be free from suffering here. So I'm gonna read this and then we'll we'll kind of talk through it. I don't know if I'm pronouncing all, all these right, because this, this sutta in particular I've only read. I haven't I haven't heard it spoken out loud. I think it's called a Vasaka Sutta. I have heard that on one occasion the blessed one was staying near Savati at the Eastern Monastery, the palace of Magara's mother And on that occasion, a dear and beloved grandson of Vasaka, Magara's mother, had died. So Vasaka, Magara's mother, her clothes wet, her hair wet, went to the Blessed One in the middle of the day, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As she was sitting there, the Blessed One said to her, why have you come here, Visakha? Your clothes wet, your hair wet in the middle of the day. When this was said, she said to the blessed one, my dear and beloved grandson has died. This is why I have come here, my clothes wet, my hair wet in the middle of the day. Visakha, would you like to have as many children and grandchildren as there are people in Savati? Yes, Lord, I would like to have as many children and grandchildren as there are people in Savati. But how many people in Savati die in the course of a day? Well, sometimes 10 people die in Savati in the course of a day. Sometimes 9, sometimes 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. Sometimes one person dies in Savati in the course of a day. Savati is never free from people dying. So what do you think? Vasaka, would you ever be free from wet clothes and wet hair? No, Lord, and enough of my having so many children and grandchildren. Vasaka, those who have a hundred dear ones have a hundred sufferings. Those who have 90 dear ones have 90 sufferings. Those who have 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 9, 8, 7, 65432, those who have only one dear one have one suffering. Those who have no dear ones have no sufferings. They are free from sorrow, free from lament, uh, lamentation, I tell you. Then, on realizing the significance of that, the Blessed One on that occasion exclaimed, The sorrows, the many kinds of suffering in the world exist dependent on something dear. They don't exist when nothing's dear, and thus blissful and sorrowless are those whom nothing in the world is anywhere dear. So one who aspires to the stainless and sorrowless shouldn't make anything dear in the world anywhere. <laughs> Does that sound like the Compassion Buddha himself, or what? <laughs> um Interesting, interesting. Hold nothing dear. You know, we like to call each other like the Sangha members dear ones, right? Uh, we're kind of taught to hold everyone dear. So i want I want to unpack this a little bit and 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 see what did the Buddha mean? What was he talking about here? Um, in this sutta, not holding anything dear, anyone dear, leads to the end of suffering. So maybe we can balance this out a little bit. And so maybe if we could, you know, we have a few minutes left to tie this up. Is that, you know, obviously we don't want to, um, yeah, we don't want to lose, like you mentioned, Velletta, we don't want to lose the empathy, we don't want to lose the compassion, <clears throat> and know I'm reminded of the phrase pain times resistance equals suffering pain times resistance equals suffering I really love that one um saying that we could be with 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 the pain um not necessarily have resistance and and absolutely does not mean not to act but what if we could act without the suffering part you know what if we could act as the radiance and the the enlivened quality of compassion. You know, compassion itself is actually an enlivened experience. You know, it's actually very, um, a very beautiful and very profound state of being. Of course, like we talk about so often, um, compassion with attachment for outcome can definitely lead to to suffering and a lack of resilience, and and put a damper on our ability to. Make the change in the world that we want to make. So, holding the wisdom of how things are, and and having compassion. We've discussed this, I think, every single time since like COVID happened. You know, and um, just blending, blending these two, and really blending the inner and the outer. I think more than more than anything, having our meditations take us to a place of 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 peace, of of kindness, of compassion, of really experientially tasting this. Everything's okay. Like, God, give yourself full permission to surrender to that in your meditations, and it's going to be so beautiful. Like, uh, you know, taking that out to that wor- to into the world that needs it. You know, we're such an, in a state of contraction, uh, either on social media, you know, the politics, the COVID, everything everyone's in a state of contraction not everyone but for the most part I see this you know we're just oh, contracting around these sufferings what if we bring what if we bring into the room that we're in into the conversation um, what if we bring expansiveness you know what if we what if we bring um, a sense of as at easeness what if we bring a greater capacity to hold you know like I love like Valetta brought up, David's beautiful illustrations of how do we hold the duality, you know, in this universal capacity of awakened mind and, and love and compassion. What if we bring that into, in, into our day to day life? What does that feel like? And, and there's so much resolve in that. Let's just sit for a moment and dedicate the merit. We've mentioned so often during this time together, just others and our community, and how our heart is maybe heavy with different sufferings. And coming here today and connecting, our hearts want to connect to others. So, with that tenderness in mind, thinking of all the beings that don't have access to teachings like this, and it has nothing to do with Buddhist teachings, but any kind of any kind of teachings that bring them peace. beings that don't have access to community. And really bringing them here with us. And extending this envisioning to include all beings. Because we're all the same. All looking for more happiness and less suffering. And we're all interdependent. We're all in this together. and through the power of intention, wishing that all beings could receive benefit from our time together. May their minds be enlivened. May they be able to access their true nature of peace, of love, kindness, compassion. May all beings everywhere with that exception, may they all be happy and free from suffering. So thank you again so very much, everyone. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.